0: Well good morning everyone. I hope that you will take time either today or later on today um, to register or look at one of the options that uh, we just talked about here a few minutes ago. Um, We've just been so blessed by members of our church family who've been willing to um, prepare and make an investment in our lives by creating spaces for us to engage with the scriptures, be encouraged, be prayed for. Um, and so thank you so much to those of you who are making those, uh, thing, those courses available, and I just pray that you'll, you'll consider signing up, even doing so today. Uh, imagine that you're in high school again. You're at a party. You go to someone's house. Their parents are at home. And it starts out with a few friends, and about two hours later, there's 200 people. Filled the house, completely filled the property, and uh, some, some neighbor calls the police, breaks it all up. It, it's quite a night. And you're going to retell this story two different times. Your friends are going to ask about it the next day at school, and so you tell them about what happened. You tell them about who was there, and maybe how wild it got, and what happened when the police showed up. But then when you get home that night, your parents are going to ask you about how your evening was. And you're going to give a different account because of who's asking. You're going to maybe say, oh, it was a good night. You know, a few people showed up that we hadn't expected, and it was memorable. And we do that all the time. We tell a different story depending on the audience that we're telling it to. The audience that is listening matters. Uh, I think about reading uh, the great book by Martin Luther King Jr., Letters uh, from a Birmingham Prison. And I think about the story of this African-American Baptist preacher who really became, just to embodied uh, the racial injustice uh, of, at that time. And just his w- incredible work to just bring about justice and racial reconciliation in his day. And I remember reading that book and thinking, well, this is going to be a great book because it's, it's his letters from prison. He's going to be writing these encouraging words to his followers who were maybe discouraged when he got arrested. But then when I found out who he was writing the book to, it just completely changed how i read it in the book he's actually writing this letter as a response to eight white preachers who had written negatively about king's efforts in the local paper and tried to discredit him and said the kind of work that he was uh, trying to accomplish should only happen in the courts and not happen in the streets When you understand who the audience is for, it changes how you read books. It's true in the scriptures as well. We've been studying in the book of Mark just one week. I hope that you're reading along. I would encourage you to do so, to download the reading guide today if you haven't already done so, and and to join in with us. It'll be easy to catch up. But as we come to each book of the Bible, we have to ask ourselves this question, who was the author writing to? Who did they have in mind? What were the circumstances going on in the day that caused them to present this information and caused them to present it in the way that they did? Or why did they include this and not include that? And this is just so important as we think about the gospel of Mark. Mark is telling Peter's um, memories, his recollections of the life of Jesus. And Mark is writing to a group of Christians who were living in the very heart of the Roman Empire. They're living in the the center of the most influential and powerful empire of their day. He's writing at a time when the empire was run by a man named Nero who had no moral center. He was only concerned with his own glory and his insatiable ego and who many would say was insane. Interesting. Now this Roman empire was incredible in so many other ways. The Romans were builders. They were doers. They expanded from Italy to Egypt all the way to England. Uh, They just built vast systems of roads and bridges. They transported across uh, the nations. It was absolutely incredible what they were able to accomplish. You can go to Europe today and still walk on roads built at this same time in Rome. And they were credited for also bringing about a time called the Roman Peace. Um, And they had a special technique for it. Uh, If you rose up against them or spoke negatively about them, they killed you. Or they had another technique that they preferred. If they really wanted to send a message publicly, they would nail you to a cross and and put you in the public square for all to see what happens to people who stand uh, up against the Roman Empire. This was their version of peace. This is the empire that is ruling the day and ruling the lives of these Christians to whom Mark is writing to. And the Roman ruler at the time, as I said, was Nero. And this was in a time of intense persecution. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But you need to know, this is Mark's audience. Christians living in the most difficult of circumstances, living under incredible persecution, trying to wrestle with what it looks like to follow Jesus and wondering if this Jesus that they're following is going to be there for them in the midst of these most difficult times. So let's pick it up today. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. We're going to read through just a few passages here. I'm going to make a few comments about them. uh, And I hope that this is helpful to us as we continue our journey. So, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit took the man, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region in Galilee. Now, Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of of Galilee. Jesus goes to the synagogue. It's Saturday. There's an assembly of Jewish men that are gathered there and he does some teaching. And as I was reading this account, I was struck by the phrase that that Mark chooses to describe their response. They were amazed because Jesus taught as one with authority. Now, throughout the history of the church, people have been amazed at different preachers and teachers who have come and gone throughout the ages. Um, people who had different techniques, people who pushed the envelope, people who tried new things. Uh, if you grew up in church, you watched this happen. Maybe you, you grew up and you saw your preacher was in a full suit and they preached from, a, um, from a, a full pulpit, and then maybe they dropped the tie, and then they got a music stand, and you've seen all kinds of changes. They got PowerPoint presentations and all kinds of object lessons, and it's changed. That's not at all what Mark is talking about here. When Jesus was teaching, the people were amazed, not because of his technique, because he was explaining their very lives to them. He was able to understand and perceive what was going on in their heart of hearts and to speak to them about it in a way, well, that it was amazing. It was amazing. He taught with authority, and the word authority has the word author in it. Because Jesus is the author of their lives. He's the author of their faith. He's able to perceive and understand and speak to the very heart of each of these individuals. It reminds me of the story in John chapter four where Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well. And after they're done, she runs into the village and she says, come and meet the man who told me everything about my life. This is what's going on in this story that Jesus has the ability to speak to us and see what's really going on. And we hope that even as you're reading through the scriptures, you'll get a sense that the Lord is doing that for you. Now, the other thing that happens in this, in this brief encounter is that Jesus uh, encounters a man who's possessed by a demon and he casts the demon out. Now, it hadn't struck me before until I read it uh, preparing for this series that it kind of describes this demon-possessed man as kind of a regular in the temple, He's a church person, but he's someone whose life is controlled. Maybe his speech, maybe his words, maybe his attitude, uh, maybe the way he uses religion to manipulate and hurt other people, but he's dealing with a darkness inside that is controlling his life. And maybe it was visible to the other members in the synagogue. They knew there was something dark about his life. Maybe not, but when he meets Jesus, it, it rises up within him, and Jesus casts it out. And he sets them free. And I can't help but think about the work of Jesus in each of our lives to rid us of the darkness that's inside. Now, we get this as a, a really our first miracle of Jesus in Mark's gospel. And we're going to look at a couple here today. And here's what I want you to think about. That in the shadow of the Roman Empire, in the shadow of Nero, who is controlling and who is bringing about his kingdom, is this Jewish rabbi Jesus who announces the kingdom of God is here. And now as he begins his ministry, we get to get these glimpses into what his kingdom really is like. And in this very first encounter, we see that Jesus' kingdom is the kind of kingdom that rids us of our darkness and sets us free. Let's keep reading. Mark chapter 1, 29 to 34. As soon as they left the synagogue, so after church, they went to James and, with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon is Peter, and we've talked about this before. Peter is the one who's given Mark this story to write down. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, meaning when Sabbath finally ended, the people were watching the clock till they could go. Uh, After sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Imagine that crowd. The whole town gathered at the door. Can you picture it? And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So after church, they go to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is in bed. She's got a fever. Um, It doesn't say that she's seriously ill. It doesn't tell us that this is a long-standing problem that she's dealt with. She's got a fever. So Jesus goes into a room, says nothing, extends his hand and helps her get up. And in this brief exchange, she's healed. And I love it. Right away, she gets up and she starts helping out. She starts preparing food. She starts serving everybody as a good host of the home would want to do. And, you know, as I read this encounter, it seems like such a small little story, but it reminds me of the number of conversations I've had with people who, because of physical health, mental health, uh, memory, age, mobility, grieve that they're not able to be more involved and to help out in the life and ministry of their church. And who just wish and remember days when they were so active and so involved. That's a little bit of what we've got going on here. The other thing that I love about this brief little encounter is it shows us that Jesus cares about our smaller ailments our aches and our pains, our arthritis, our sore joints, our headaches, our diabetes. Um, If you and I lived in Jesus' day, let's say uh, we had arthritis. And we were in this story and we're one of the sick people that have gathered outside of Peter's home to to see Jesus, to get healing. And as we're standing there, we're looking around on us and there's people with cancer and we see people with leprosy. We see people with whose children are seriously, seriously ill. We might start to wonder, when I get up and stand in front of Jesus and it's my turn and I tell him I've got arthritis, is he going to roll his eyes at me and... And I think, what are you doing wasting my time with your small problem? And we see in this story, no. Jesus sees all of our concerns and their concerns to him. And again, we see the way of the kingdom of Jesus, that when Jesus' rule and reign takes place, when heaven comes to earth in our lives because of Jesus, we are healed. There's redemption to our physical bodies that takes place. One more, let's read Mark 1, 40. To 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, think about this, and touched the man. I am willing, he said, Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a stern warning. Can you picture Jesus as giving a stern warning? See that you do not tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and spread and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside. In lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, leprosy was a general term uh, used to describe various skin diseases, Uh, but if you had leprosy, you lived in isolation because it was contagious. You would have to leave your family, and not just for a 14 day quarantine, forever. There was no cure for leprosy. You could not attend worship, you could not go to birthday parties, you could not walk your daughter down the aisle, you could not go to family funerals. You lived an, a, a, a lonely, lonely life. Now there's some wonderful details in this story that I just want to point out to you this morning as we kind of just work through this gospel story together because they tell us so much about what Jesus is really like and what it would be like for you and I to meet him face to face. And for maybe those of you who don't have faith or aren't sure what to do with Jesus, I hope these little details will help you understand what he is like. The first I love is that Jesus heals this leper by touch. He heals others with words, but he chooses to heal this man by reaching out and touching him and as i kind of imagine it in my mind i picture the leper pulling back just out of instinct knowing that no no you cannot touch me it will be bad news for you but jesus chooses this personal uh, powerful act of human contact to heal someone who's not had contact for so long second the man asks jesus you know if you're willing you could heal me And Mark says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, the word here describes literally bowels. Uh, That Jesus was moved deep down in his guts with compassion for this man. A man who had been repulsive. A man who would have been seen by people as a threat. A man who probably for most people in that village, he was forgotten. He's out of sight, out of mind. We don't have anything to do with him anymore. And now he's just in our distant memory. But to Jesus, he's someone who matters. And when Jesus sees him and hears his call for help, he's moved to, his, to the very core of his being with compassion for him. That the man's pain, that the man's circumstances are felt deeply by Jesus. And I would say to you today, if you are feeling forgotten, if you were feeling alone and maybe you feel like everybody has just passed you by, this passage reminds us that for people in this circumstance, Jesus feels your pain right in his guts. Now, the final detail I love about this are the instructions that Jesus gives to this guy to go through in terms of the process of presenting himself to the priest and making an offering. Why? Why? Why would Jesus do this? Well, obviously, it's instructed to do so in the scripture. But I think there's another reason. And I think what Jesus is saying to this guy is do it because you can. I want you to go through this process. I want you to show up at the synagogue. I want you to go meet with the priest. I want you to go over to the table and give your offering. Why? Because you can. Now, some of you have had seasons in these last number of months where you had to isolate for 14 days. 14 days. And that's a long, a long time. And when that 14 days was over, I bet you get out of the house right away. Why? Because you could. You went for a drive. You went to the store. Did you need something? Maybe. But you just wanted to go because you could go out again. I think that's what Jesus is saying to this man. He's inviting him into the life that everybody else has. Go on out. This is an invitation to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has given to him. Well, why am I going on about all these details? Because I want you to know what the kind of person that's inviting you to follow him today. What's he really like? What's in his heart? What's it going to be like when you come to him in prayer, when you come to him in your time of need? What's it going to be like when he calls you to give your life for him? What is he going to be like in that moment? Now, <clears throat> there's one more section I want to look at here, and some of you are thinking, oh, you skipped a section. You skip that whole section where Jesus prays. Well, probably because it's not that important. Jesus prays, big deal. That's what we would expect Jesus to do. Not at all. We're going to look at this next verse because I think it's the most important verse in this entire section of verses that we're looking at today. Let's look at Mark 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon, again Peter, and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. <laughs> and Jesus replied, Let's go to somewhere else, to a nearby village, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Now, last week, in our message on the first part of Mark's gospel, Mark confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, and I pushed you a little bit, especially those of you who've maybe never wrestled with that claim that Jesus is the Son of God. What we see here is Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. Jesus is the incarnated Son of God, not half God and half man. As John puts it, he's the word become flesh. And if you do a full study on Jesus, uh, you will see that he assumed a complete human nature with all of its limitations, but without ever surrendering his divinity. Philippians chapter two has this beautiful poem and it captures it this way. It says, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. In these verses, we see, and as you continue to read through Mark's gospel, you're going to see the human side of Jesus. Jesus gets hungry. He gets thirsty. In the passage that we looked at last week when he was tempted, he got so weary, he couldn't even care for himself. Angels came in and attended to him. Luke's gospel describes that as Jesus was growing up, it uses the phrase, he grew in wisdom and stature. Like there's a maturation process that he went through. Luke will also later confess that Jesus at times confesses to people that he does not know the date or the hour, that his father is going to come back at the time of the second coming. He doesn't know that information. Not only that, as we read through Mark's gospel especially, we're going to see the full range of emotions that Jesus carries. Anger, compassion, grief. John Calvin said, Jesus put our on our emotions as well as our flesh. And so Jesus... Who has assumed our physical bodies, has emptied himself, sets an alarm, gets up early, finds a quiet place, and spends considerable time in prayer. And what I want you to hear today, and what I want you to wrestle with, and maybe this will, you'll not agree with me right away, Jesus needed to pray. Jesus is not doing this for show. I'm going to go off and pretend I'm praying so the disciples know this important, you know. It's not like he goes there and he and the Lord are talking about hockey and then they hear the disciples coming so he gets on his knees and pretends to pray because, you know, we want to put on a good show so they'll know what to do. Not that we need this. But Jesus in this moment needed to be in his Father's presence so that he could carry out the ministry that he was doing. Jesus is living his life fully dependent on God the Father and fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit in order to carry out the work that God has given him to do. And in doing so, he shows how you and I ought to be living our lives as well. Fully dependent, needing this time in the Lord's presence. Someone once said, spiritual disciplines are not about making you and I more precious to God. They're about making God more precious to us. And that as God becomes more precious to us, our lives are enriched. So here's Mark. Recording the life of Jesus through Peter. Peter, the go getter, Peter, who's impulsive, Peter, who's so amazed at the power and the activities of Jesus and his ability to heal and cast out demons. And he's writing at a time where the Roman superpower was there, accomplishing all these great things. And he does not want us to miss that the source of Jesus' power is found in these moments where he gets in the presence of his heavenly father and receives from him what he needs for that day. Think about that for a second. And I think what good news that is for you and I, as an invitation today. Each day, you scroll through social media, you watch the news. Um, all you hear about is all the new studies, the new reports that everybody's stressed out. People are tired. They're exhausted. They've got financial challenges. They are worn out of the thought that this pandemic is now in its second wave and shows no sign of ending quickly. And we know it. You talk to people. I talk to people, your own selves, my own self. We feel it. This is feeling long. Is this ever going to end? And here in this passage, Jesus shows us that you and I have the opportunity each and every day to come into the presence of our heavenly father and receive what we need. Jesus is there receiving from his heavenly Father what he needed, showing us that we ought to go into that same space and find what we need as well. And in this one verse, Mark wants us to see what's available to us. And this should change how we pray, because we're praying to Jesus who knows. He knows what it means to be exhausted, He knows what it means to be tempted. He knows what it means not to know everything and maybe not liking what's going to happen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 say it best. The high priest Jesus, uh, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly, not apprehensively, not apologetically, boldly to our gracious God or to use Mark's language, let's get up early and spend time with our Heavenly Father because there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us where we need it most. Grace and mercy and the kind of help that we need most. This is the invitation to each of us. This is one verse, Mark 1, verse 35. But it's absolutely central to understanding the person of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the life of Jesus. And it's absolutely essential for you and I as we think about God, how is it that we are going to live these days? How is it that we are going to be people of faith where our faith is strong, where we have what we need each and every day for the challenges that we face? And it's found in this invitation to come boldly, for grace and mercy and help. So I'm going to close us in prayer here this morning. But I want to speak to those of you who are saying, I can picture God being excited to see Jesus come and pray. Yeah, that's, that's not hard. I can picture God being excited about Jesus getting up early and going out for prayer. But not me. If I show up in God's presence, I am not sure the kind of welcome That I'm going to get you know there's this wonderful verse in John's gospel chapter 1 verse 12 where it says that God has given Jesus the authority the power to call you and I children when we believe meaning that when we go into God's presence we go in as his children the ones whom he loves and so today that's the invitation you get to go into God's presence as one of his children to your heavenly father who loves you, who is inviting you to come. He's got grace, he's got mercy, and he's got help for each of us. Let us pray. Father, today, it's, it's hard to get our minds around this invitation that you extend to us. Lord, that you would invite us to come Lord, not as enemies, but as children. And Lord, that you would look at us and say, come, I've got grace, I've got mercy, and I've got the very help that you need. And Lord, today, I know, I personally, and Lord, I know for the people watching here today, this has been a difficult season. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be bold and courageous and disciplined to to take you up on this incredible offer, to come into your presence on a regular basis, to sit at your feet, Lord, to pour out our hearts, to, to open our hearts and to hear you speak to us, that we can receive the very things that you are going to give us, that we need our daily bread. And Lord, as we do when we live in this strength, Father, we pray that we would give witness and testimony to other people, to the hope that is ours in Christ. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.